Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Now, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, then you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given a Christ apportioned to it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascend mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of his service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself upon, up, in a, up in love as each part does its work. Thank you, Mike and Carly. Well, I've talked about before many times about the fact that I grew up in rural Minnesota, very rural Minnesota, and uh, among hardworking farmers, we had this saying growing up, if you couldn't develop your muscles through hard work on the farm, they didn't need to be developed. Therefore, very few of us growing up actually used weights to do any kind of strength training. And so uh, I grew up, I, be, I was able to throw bales with the best of them, but uh, in my favorite words from the Replacements movie, I was wiry. Uh, if you've watched that movie, it's a fun movie. I was not at all like Mike, let's put it that way. And now as a desk job person getting older, I've realized that strength training and uh, weightlifting is probably a really important part of my health regimen Today's message is called that, strength training, because this passage, Paul uses an analogy that is very much like that to talk to us about how we grow and how we mature in our faith. And we're going to take a look at the passage through four questions. We're going to look at what are we, we're going to look at what are we becoming, or what is God making us into as the church, and we're going to look at where are we now and how do we grow into the fullness of what we are. So, where are we, or what are we? Paul returns in our text to the metaphor he's introduced earlier, and he expands it a little bit. He talks about that we are the body of Jesus Christ, and he is expands, expands on it, saying he is our head. Now, you know, that first image that comes to mind is Frankenstein for me, and it's not exactly like that stapled on type of thing. It, it, it's getting at something much more meaningful and much more real, the real vital life connection between us and Jesus and all of us. He's not talking about you or I individually. 
He's talking about us together as a church. And if we miss that, we miss a lot. He sets up this implication uh, by a seeming overemphasis at the very beginning of the passage where he says in verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So the beginning of maturity, Paul is saying, is recognizing this oneness, this idea that we are us, the body of Christ. So the second question, what is God making us into as a church, his body? What, is, what are we becoming? Well, Paul says that we're growing, he's growing us up to become in every respect, every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This goes back again to the core truth that's running throughout this series that Paul leaves us through his imagery and its discussion with absolutely no ability to believe that someone can grow into becoming a mature follower of Christ apart from relationship in the church. Now, we've acknowledged that Paul's not naive in that statement. I mean, Paul, throughout all of his writings, we can see very clearly he understands how much of a mess the church can be. And for me to reinforce that statement, I'm not naive either. I've grown up in church leadership, around church leadership all my life. I spent 11 years doing consulting with churches and intervention work. I'm not naive to the state of the church. And yet, in spite of that realism, the church is God's focus for how we grow, how we mature, as imperfect as the church is. And the promise, if we learn what Paul's teaching us today, is simply this. If we learn it, we will in every respect become the mature, become the strong, become the vibrant, amazingly Holy Spirit-empowered, loving, winsome body of Christ Himself. That's what God is making us into. So, next question. Where are we now? And Paul deals with that in the text by one primary metaphor that he then uses two more metaphors to describe further. So let's look at that, verse 14. He says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Isn't that nice? Paul's calling us all babies, right? I know it's corny. I know it's corny. But that's what he's calling us. In fact, he's calling himself a baby in this passage. He says, then we, himself included, will no longer be infants. Just imagine, if Paul calls himself an infant, what does that make all of us? Now, I don't believe in macroevolution, but if I did, I would think of myself somewhere around the amoeba stage of things like, right? So why is this important? Is it just Paul trying to insult us or is he making a more profound point that we need to grasp? I think he is. Infants have all of DNA in them already necessary to grow and mature and become the fully mature man or woman that God created them to be. We know that, right? And without recognizing Paul's lesson here, we will never fully mature because we will always see ourselves as something we are not. We will see ourselves as adults. Only when we see ourselves rightly as infants do we ever even get to the point of the level of surrender and humility and trust that God wants us to live in 
The kind of trust where we have a relationship of trust that allows us to be fully connected, fully responsive, fully obedient to the head. Can you imagine for a moment your body without, with limbs that don't respond to the commands of your head? I mean, some people can easily respond and relate to that, right? But can you imagine for yourself for a moment, how are we as individual cells or together as a church supposed to hike this quest of life, this in, in joy and freedom and realize this peace that God wants us to bring and the mission God wants to bring us into with unresponsive limbs, unresponsive to the obe- in obedience to the head? Now, we see this whole idea even just from a positive perspective in infants, don't we? I mean, infants, we watch them flail around as they try to learn to control their hands and their arms and learn how to actually pick things up. We see them wobbling as they try to learn to control their their legs as they take their first steps, trying to get their limbs to obey their heads, right? Paul goes on further using this metaphor, and uses another one to depict more of what he means by infants. And he says this, he says, "...being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching." So how many of you watched a few years back the movie The Perfect Storm? Why would you do that? I mean, a movie where everybody dies... That's a, that's a, that's a star in the thing for no good heroic reason. And you don't even have Kate Winslet and Leonardo, whatever his name, on the front of the bow romantically facing the wind. I mean, why would you do that? My uh, mother-in-law was here uh, the last week. Her name is Rosie. And she was retelling our kids the story of her trip to Germany uh, as a young kid. Uh, seven years after World War II, her family went back to Germany to visit relatives because her parents had immigrated from Germany when they were younger. And uh, they were lucky enough to be on the cruise liner during the worst storm in 75 years in the Atlantic. Well over 100-foot waves, they were strapped, nauseous, throwing up in their beds for half the trip. It was just an awful trip. Waves, when we think of them, are terrifying, aren't they? Waves play on our emotions. They touch on our anxiety and fear in at least two ways that that illustrate how we act as infants. One way is that infants, we know, are self-centered, right? They're always asking the question, what's in it for me? If you're uncomfortable, if they're uncomfortable, if they're not happy, they cry, they fuss till they get what they want, right? And, and the first thing they teach lifeguards, just to pull it back to the waves thing, is if you are going to save a drowning person at that moment, everything in their world is about them. And we understand that. And they say that the number one reason, you have, the number one thing you have to watch out for is the fact that everything will be so much about them that they will grab you and prevent you from saving them and take you both under. Everything becomes about me in the terrifying moment of the waves or as an infant. And the second, infants are prone to emotional swings based on whatever is going on in front of them at the time. Now, I can remember my kids being infants. I, can, I was always baffled at how quick they could go from crying to laughing, back to crying, back to laughing again. I mean, they could be crying like the world is falling apart and all that it would take would be a funny face and a flubber on their tummy and they would be giggling hysterically. They would just flip-flop, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, Paul says. How does that apply to us today sometimes, teachings? 
well, we hear different teachings from different ministers and they, they terrify us. Or we hear a teaching from an Oprah show or we hear a teaching from an investment analyst that we read or a political commentator or a doctor or, or someone and it swings our emotions. We read the Bible and there's certain passages in the Bible that we look at and we go, oh, that's horrible and our emotions get swung. We face experiences where we think God is gone and our emotions, our beliefs are like infants. We know that infants are dealing with this idea called object permanence. You ever heard of that? Object permanence in an an infant is their ability to learn to recognize that an object, whether it's their mom or dad or their toy, when it's gone, still exists and is still there for them. I mean, that's the reason peekaboo is so fun with infants because you just, you, you go peek and then you go like this and you're not there and voila, all of a sudden you're back and it's like this amazing fun thing that you're playing, right? Babies don't recognize or believe certain things about God when they don't see it. So when a teaching confuses us or creates fear or confusion or a difficult circumstance we begin to face, we so easily think the goodness of God is not the same as it was before his hands went over his face or he went around the corner, so to speak. We think God is unloving. We think he's gone. He's abandoning us. Uh, Instead of staying solid and steady in his love, our feelings of beliefs and our thoughts get tossed to and fro in the waves. I mean, I've seen this illustrated in many people's lives. I was talking to someone not that long ago about the end times. They love studying the end times, all the second coming and rapture and apocalyptic literature in the Bible. And every other week they think that something happened in history that's signifying the end. And, and, and they admitted, they said, I, I feel terrified. I feel fearful when I study this stuff. Prone to being tossed around to and fro by the waves. Paul says... You, me, all of us, every one of us, are infants, prone to similar fears, prone to being tossed around in the stability of our faith. And Paul is inviting us to a steadiness of heart and faith that's found only when we first are honest about where we are currently in our development. We're infants. The second metaphor he uses, we'll just go quick through, quickly through, is associated with corrupt gambling and it's in, in Paul's day. And the terms he's using are essentially saying the deceitful scheming of people who use weighted dice to deceive and manipulate others. Infants are easily deceived. So that's where we are. Uh, f- final question, how do we grow into the fullness of what we are? Well, we've already said, and just as a reminder, infants have in themselves all the DNA resident to become fully mature with growth. We mature by growing and trusting God, the head's perspective, and ridding ourselves of wrong perspectives. We grow by trusting the Holy Spirit to teach us certain habits, and we grow by remaining steadfast in the focus of what nourishes and grows us, right? So let's look at that. So what are the wrong perspectives that hold us back? If we're infants, as Paul says... Why is it that we're surprised by the immaturity of other believers? And why is it that we use that immaturity as a critique of the church or a reason to leave a church or to not be deeply engaged in a church? Every church will be filled with babies. Every church will be filled with poopy diapers, for lack of a better term. A better perspective is simply this. 
to recognize that reality and not be surprised by it, not be put off by it, while at the same time never thinking so highly of yourself that you put yourself above being an infant yourself. See, good churches, great churches, are filled with infants, and you and I are one of them. That said, Paul's also implying in this text that if you haven't changed, you still have bad attitudes, you still have bad habits, you still have flaws, and you walk through life saying, well, that's just the way I am, then you have no idea of whose DNA you are carrying and of, whose, uh, uh, and of the head and the life that you are connected to. Do you think that anything, anything that is wrong with you is a match for the life of Jesus in you? No, it's not. We should never be surprised by the immaturity of others And yet we should never settle for remaining immature ourselves either. So what habits then do you need to cultivate in order to grow? Well, let's get at it this way. The first mark of spiritual infancy, right, is you are not discerning. I mean, babies, kids, toddlers crawling around, they just cry out for food, and they can't discern between food and poison. That's the reason we childproof our homes, right? They can't discern between something that is a good teaching, a healthy teaching, or something that is poison or rotten or just slightly twisted. So the first habit we need is we need to become together theologically wise. We need to have regular, intensive times where we study the Bible, where we not just study the Bible, where we study how to understand the Bible. If we run up against confusion, we take the time to understand how do we figure this out the best we can, and we become theologically wise. Other habits and focus we need are depicted actually in the, in the passage in verse 15 where he starts actually talking about this active strength training. Let's read it again. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, there's a number of things I want you to see from this, but the first is this is a picture of a body in motion. This is active. This is growing. This is flexing. This is movement. This is strength training. And it does something. It's something that we do, and it's something we do together. And the critical focus factor in this whole thing of growing into maturity is that maturity comes from the unity of the body. The whole body working together. Again, this series is about unless we develop a habit of regular, consistent engagement in the relationships of the church, we have no hope of maturing in our faith. No one can get there on their own. Unity is not just me and Jesus. Unity is not just a lack of conflict Unity in this text is very clear. It's we, it's us, it's the body under the command of the head together. It's muscles, cells, it's ligaments, it's joints, all different types of people, different roles, different purposes, different personalities, working together on this earth harmoniously for something, for a purpose. All of us only mature is to the extent that we actively engage the mission of God in this earth. As part of his body, maturing requires that we are all, every single one of us, actively in the mission of God in this earth. Like the old saying, like the old sayings go, you either grow or die. Or when we talk about a bicycle, you either move forward or you fall over. 
or maybe even better yet, the old saying around an egg, you either hatch or you rot. And once you hatch, you either multiply or you're simply consumed and have absolutely no real meaning in life after that. Paul emphasizes this point when he lists some of the gifts in this passage. He says in verse 11, So Christ gave the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul only lists some of the gifts he gives, that God gives us here. He doesn't list all, list all of them. He lists simply the gifts that God gives to bring structure and order and large-scale multiplication to his body. And the, the point of this is, though, that contrary to most how churches operate and contrary to how most people expect a church to operate, God designed church to operate differently. What he's saying in this text is people like me are not special. We just fill roles. That's one of the reasons I don't introduce myself as Pastor Ross. That's one of the reasons why I don't ask you to call me that. If you do, it's, it's your choice for personal reasons. And I don't, I'm not offended by that. I'm not saying you don't have to do that. You do what you feel comfortable with. But I'm just Ross. I'm called to fill a role. And the funny thing for me when I look at these gifts is my primary gift isn't even the gift of pastor. So having somebody call me Pastor Ross feels kind of weird anyway. But in God's idea, people like me are not the primary ministers of the church. Our role is to empower everyone to be the ministers of God. Now let me pause for a minute and celebrate something. We as a church are really beginning to get this. I mean, you can measure it in some ways. I mean, last year, 69% of you were involved in active ministry somehow, and that's not the only measure. That is a part of a measure, but that's not the only measure. But that's an amazing measure because very few churches have that, right? There's also many of you who weren't involved in those things, who were involved in the community, serving in community organizations on behalf of Christ. You were having intentional barbecues in your backyard to try to build faith conversations. You were inviting people to your small group. You were inviting people to church. All of that is about... About the mission of Jesus, and we're living that as a mission. And I want to applaud you and, and say, yes, we're getting that. We're still infants. I mean, we're all infants, right? So, you know, maybe we applaud ourselves like we applaud uh, first steps or potty training. And, and don't kid yourself if you're not a parent. Those are really big things. You're going to applaud really, really big when those things happen. But there's more to grow, but we're doing well. So, The vision of the church is that under the leadership of Jesus, we all work together in well-synchronized teams of friends. None of us have an individualistic calling. We are called together, empowered by God together to be God's missionaries in our world. So, next. When you strength train, you intentionally engage resistance, right? You get on the elliptical and you set the slope and you set the resistance to determine the hardness of your workout. You lift weights, resistance, or you do calisthenics. You use your body weight and gravity as resistance. So the question is, what resistance do we use to grow as the body of Christ? Paul says that resistance is love. Now, some of you are thinking, 
Oh, love's not resistance. When I love someone, I am so enthralled with them. The chemistry is so amazing. I can't help but want to be with them. I'm so attracted to them. No, Ross, love is a magnet. No, love isn't a magnet. What you're describing as a magnet is is the beauty of a crush or infatuation or the lust of sexual chemistry. Magnet feeling is... Because the magnet feeling is really more about you being attracted to how the other person makes you feel about yourself. It's, it's how that person meets a need or a desire within you. It, the magnet feeling is still an expression of infancy. infancy. It's, a, it's a self-centeredness. Feeling good because my itch gets scratched or my hungry tummy gets filled with something pleasing. Love is resistance. And it's the resistance that makes us grow, mature, and become strong because love is sticking with someone in kindness and belief in the good plan of God for them even when the relationship stinks. Love is the habit of flexing against the resistance of life that so naturally pulls us apart. And instead, we choose to stay close together, acting lovingly toward one another. And that's easier to do when we recognize that Jesus is the head of all of us and we are all one. I mean, why would we reject or fight against our own body? Instead, we would wrestle, we would work out to stay together in love and harmony. And as we stick together, that's when we discover the, the grace of God and we become mature. We stick together and, and, love and, and forgive and learn what it's like to live like Jesus and be like him in the fullness of his body. Paul goes on and speaks more practically. He talks about a habit of speaking the truth in love. Now that's, you know, a nice phrase, and, and, but it has all sorts of connotations, doesn't it? Some of them good, some of them bad. I mean, I've, I've been rudely told off by people who just said, I'm just telling you like it is. I'm just telling you the truth, Right? And I've had people speak to me their warped view of truth. And when I wouldn't expect, accept their warped view of truth, they try to force it on you and castigate you for not... You've had those experiences, right? You've had those same things, haven't you? But Paul's lesson today mitigates, if not alleviates, those problems. If we start like Paul in celebrating our oneness in Christ and owning that we are all infants born into the same family by the love of the same Father, then we have no fear of being inadequate. We have no fear of being unable to do something or failing. We have no fear of being wrong. Speaking, in the, truth, the, speaking the truth in love starts with us owning the truth about ourselves and no longer hiding. And we don't have to have a need to hide or even be defensive towards somebody talking to us because, well, we've already admitted the fact that we don't know much. <laughs> Right? And we may have blind spots. You see, if you speak, and then on the speaking side, if you speak truth knowing you are also immature yourself, you won't come across overbearing or authoritative, but rather you'll come across as one inviting the other person to seek the counsel of the head, Jesus, rather than having to enforce your own view. In fact, even if you know you're right, and the other person is immature and they need to hear what you're going to say, even if you know that, you still don't have to come across strong or authoritative because 
you also recognize that you don't see the whole picture the head sees and how the process of healing and strength is going to happen and when it's going to happen. And you realize you don't see things the way Jesus sees them. See, it totally changes our heart and our tone of speaking truth and love and conversations. The pursuit of truth becomes less about right and wrong and more about seeking how to be together in discovering the path of our head, Jesus, and the path he's taking us on. So together, we're consistently talking. We're just sharing what we believe and openly and honestly inviting people to consider truth, right? We know that truth without love is deadly, right? Truth without love, it leads to alienation or crushing others or, or it leads to pharisaical legalism and dead religion. But we also know that love without truth is deadly as well because it abandons any boundaries and allows disease to fester unchecked. So why don't we speak the truth and love more to one another? It goes back to what Paul's teaching us. Because we're infants. Because we're self-centered. We're afraid of the consequences of those conversations. We're afraid of the pain and the cost that we might pay in those conversations, aren't we? And what about those who tell the truth but are not so loving? Well, that's also a cause of infancy. We're immature. We're selfish because our motivations are not right. We like winning the arguments. We need it to bolster our pride or to feel good about ourselves. Or, or we're selfish simply because we don't want to have the patience needed to invest in real relationship that's committed over the long term in a loving manner. So we just want to tell it and move on, Right? Speaking the truth in love is not just about speaking to others either. It's also about speaking about yourself. Refusing to allow yourself to hide behind the facades of image or you no longer let embarrassment or image or fear keep you from honestly sharing who you are with other people. Speaking the truth in love involves us inviting feedback into our lives. Because the reality is we can't always see ourselves clearly. Easy illustration to illustrate that. Uh, Public speaking. If you're a public speaker, one of the number one recommendations for improving is that you listen to yourself. You tape record yourself and listen to yourself. I hate doing that. I do it. I force myself to do it. But I hate doing it. You know why I hate doing it? Because when I'm up here talking... My voice is resonating in my throat and this really big head and it sounds really big and powerful and strong. But when I listen to myself on a tape, it sounds really weak and puny. I don't like listening to it. And the only way I can know how I sound is to get somebody else's feedback. And that's the way it is in life in general. We will never see ourselves truthfully without inviting others to speak into our lives. Speaking the truth in love is about learning to have those difficult conversations of life well. Whether it's you revealing who you are to others or you talking to someone else about a difficult blind spot. Not allowing immaturity to drive us apart, but coming together. See, you can't be on the outs with people and ever expect to grow. You can't have unresolved conflict and grow in unity. Love is the resistance of our strength training that grows us into mature people. But because sin is so prevalent in all of us, none of us can ever perfectly hope to win this battle. 
I mean, even in marriage, even if you choose to stay together in marriage, it's so easy for there to be parts of your life that you insulate from the other. You keep apart and you miss the full beauty God wants to bring in marriage just because of those things. Or even if you decide to commit long-term to stay in a church or a company or stay long-term committed to a friendship, the forces that would drive a wedge to drive us apart into hiddenness in our relationship and mistrust in our relationship are too strong and we will never be able to completely overcome them on our own. The only way we can hope to live this life the way Jesus wants us to is to see and experience Jesus for who he is. And that actually starts in a really interesting way that we don't often think about. Jesus on the cross, if we were really honest in our insecurity, in our normal insecurity of life, we would look at Jesus on the cross as saying the most insulting thing anyone could ever say to us. Because on the cross, Jesus says, you are so completely lost, you are so incapably immature, you are so condemned in your sin that nothing less than the death of the Son of God can save you. Utter realistic truth. All of us are immature infants, completely incapable of adequately caring for ourselves and maturing on our own. We are in absolute need of Jesus. And yet Jesus also on the cross says this. He says, I love you so much. You are so valuable to me. You are so worth it to me. I want to be one with you so much that for that joy... I'm willing and eager to die for you. You see, unless you see the reality of your infancy and the amazing love of Christ side by side, you will never be able to mature. In summary, Paul's teaching us that maturing can only be achieved through growing in the unity and the harmony of the relationships of the church. You can't just expect to be casually involved in church and ever expect to become mature as a follower of Jesus. And that that unity only leads to maturity and can only be accomplished in maturity when we are responsive together, not just individually, to the head, to Jesus. I want to invite you today, if you're here today and you've never made that all-in decision to follow Jesus, to take that step today, to declare Him your head, to become a part of this body. And the promise, if you do that, is simply this. The promise is that you will become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, Christ. I don't know anybody who reads the stories of Jesus and doesn't go, I would love to be like that, that kind, that winsome, that powerful, that, that great in bringing healing. That's the promise that he's calling you into, the one who created all that exists and is redeeming and filling, as our text says, the entire universe in great glory and splendor. From him, the whole body, you, us together, are joined and held together by every supporting ligament as we grow and build ourselves up in love as each part does its work, that exciting work of joining Jesus in restoring people back to the very good, beautiful, perfect way He originally created them to be and our creation back to its original beautiful creation. Lord, I just ask that You would just come and that You would help us to just settle these things so that we can trust You implicitly, that our connection to You can be so constant and stable. Lord, we can all relate to being tossed around in the waves 
and our emotions and our ideas about you. We long to be steady in that. And right now, we just take this moment to surrender again to you as our head and thank you that that's exactly what you want for us. You want us to grow. You want us to mature. You want us to love in wildly, unimaginably beautiful ways that we, that we dream of, that we, but we can't even fully imagine. And Lord, for those here who have never declared you as their head, Lord, would you just receive their prayer now? And I know you will, as they just say, be my head. I surrender to you. Be my head. Be my head, Jesus. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive us for allowing the immaturity of the church to stand in the way. For making that an excuse that keeps us unengaged. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the beautiful plan you've created for us. And we declare our commitment to follow you in that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into some more worship, I want to invite you to come and receive communion. Come and receive that statement that Jesus made to us, that we are completely incapable. And yet he's provided this amazing, magnificent love and forgiveness. I forget to do this. If you have a, on a regular basis, if you have a gluten allergy, we do have gluten-free, so this, you don't need to, to withhold yourself from this. Uh, we have a table and some bread, a, a cup and bread on the table that is only for gluten-free. Come and worship God. Let's just take that song. Your love never fails. Doesn't matter if you're in the open seas and the oceans and the waves and God wants to bring us. We can't get there individually. He wants to bring us, helping each other to find that steadiness. If you're here today and you made a decision to follow Christ, I want to invite you to what this verse says, the one baptism. I want you to talk to Jeremy or I and consider taking that public step of declaring your faith through baptism. If you're here today and you came with any other prayer need, uh, whether it's a job or whether it is healing you need in some area, a relationship difficulty, we would absolutely love to pray for you. There'll be some people over in this corner back here afterwards waiting to pray with you or just grab a friend to do that. God bless. Have a great week discovering God and how much he loves you. And we don't have to cry. We're infants, but we don't have to cry. Let's just have a great week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.